This, this, this is straight, straight, straight out of Crumpton with your host, Greg Crumpton. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Straight Out of Crumpton podcast brought to you by Greg Crumpton. I'm your host, Tyler Kern. Thanks so much for joining us here for another episode of the show. Joining me, as always, is Greg Crumpton himself. Greg, you're in trouble with today's episode, aren't you? Yeah, probably have some secrets revealed that I've never divulged before, but um, I'm sure it'll be fun. And, um, you know, when I I was thinking about this particular guest joining us, I've got like a professional mindset and then I've got a personal mindset and then I've got her story of how things happen versus my story of how things happen. So it'll be fun for sure. It, it will be fun for sure. Today on the podcast, everyone, we are welcoming Greg's sister on the show. Her name is Angela Lysa. Angela, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. I'm honored to be asked, and I will try not to divulge too many secrets, but some of them may slip out. That that good thing we're recording this so we can clean up any, you know, to protect my manly macho image that I have. <laughs> this well, is true. Angela, Thank you for uh, taking time to join us, and and I know in your uh, in, in all your spare time you were able to squeeze us in, so thank you for that. But um, as you know, on this show or podcast or whatever we call it, we we talk about how people build relationships inside their work, outside their work, and kind of how all those things tend to to you know kind of gel and mold together and how your reputation and and your work ethic and all that stuff travel with you and you never can get away from it. And, you know, you have to work, you know, it's kind of like that's that's your body of work. And how does that all influence what you do day to day and influence your work career? And, you know, when I thought about you and, you know, I think about like your, your, good friend Missy and how long y'all have been hanging out and how y'all began your friendship and, and, you know, 40 years later or whatever it is, you're still, you know, buds and the people you work with. And it's just a really cool dynamic story, but why don't we start out with you telling our, our uh, listening audience a little bit about you and, and how you became uh, Dr. Lysa which is, you know, my favorite (laughs) way to refer to you. Favorite. Funny hearing you say that, actually. (laughs) Um, Well, I am Greg's older sister, and uh, we were raised in a very loving home where education was very valued. And I always loved going to school. I think kind of unlike Greg did, but uh, I always loved going to school. There's one secret right there already out in the (laughs) Um. (laughs) <laughs> and I always wanted to be a teacher. I, I never, uh, I never wanted to be anything else. And um, that even started with kindergarten in my little poem I recited at graduation. My mom used to really tease me about how I would stand up on the stage and do that. But you know, when I went to college, when when I remember actually going into my high school counselor's office, her name was Chris Overton, Lafonia High School. And I said, okay, I, I need to talk about college. And she said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to be a teacher. And she turned around to her bookcase and she pulled out a college bulletin and it happened to be Shorter College in Rome, Georgia. I had never heard of it. 
this is really before the day that it was such a big deal to go visit college campuses. Like now kids go and visit, you know, four or five campuses before they make the decision. Um, she pulled this out and I kind of took it as the gospel. So Mother Greg and I, I don't know if you remember that, Greg, but we went to Shorter College and stopped by the varsity in Atlanta on the way because that was Mama's favorite place to eat. And I walked around the college and I loved it and came home and, hey, I was going to Shorter. And um, Chris Overton had asked me, you know, what do you want to do? And I said, be a teacher. So that's when she pulled out the, the catalog. So I went into my undergrad with wanting to be a teacher. And um, that's actually where I met Missy. Greg referred to Missy. And we've been friends for more than 40 years now. That's telling my age, I guess. But um, she's still very, very important to me. We met the first day of college. And Missy was also in um, the ed program as well. So uh, Shorter was really small. So we had just a tiny little core group going in. And so that's how we really, our friendship strengthened. We were together next door neighbors and we were together pretty much in every class, especially once we hit the junior and senior years. Um, but I, I loved it. Um, I remember student teaching, you know, you talk about developing relationships, you develop a relationship with your supervising teacher and your supervising professor. So that kind of started it. And um, I was very proud to receive the Shorter College, one of the two, there were two of us, uh, to receive the Shorter College Elementary Education Award, which kind of, yeah, you know, this is what I'm supposed to do. Somebody's recognizing this work. And so it was time to graduate. I came back to the only place I really ever knew that was DeKalb County, Georgia, which had an outstanding reputation in, um, in education. And I got a job in um, Lothonia where Greg and I were both raised at the little elementary school. There were really three, but I wound up at Stoneview Elementary teaching fifth grade. And I loved it. I taught old fashioned school, just like I had been taught and I had a I didn't realize what a great class I had until years later, but they were a great group of kids and I still keep in touch with some of them to this day. But um, unknowingly, I met my husband um, that year. We were truly just good friends. Um, he was a first year teacher as well, which of course is very rare to be a teacher to meet your husband teaching several doors down from you. Um, as it turns out, I moved on to Huntsville, Alabama um, for, I got married, moved to Huntsville, Alabama for two not, years. Not to that guy, to another yeah, guy. Yeah, not to that guy, to another guy. <laughs> it was a really nice guy, just not who I needed to be married to. Um, but I couldn't believe it. I landed on my feet. I was teaching. I had left the cab, moved to Huntsville, knew nothing about Huntsville, Alabama, except it was four hours from home and I was miserable about that. But I wound up teaching in Huntsville's first magnet school. And that really set the tone for the rest of my career. I taught there for a wonderful principal. Her name was Dot Davis at the Academy for Academics and Arts, which is still, I understand, live and well. Again, developed um, some friends there. I will never forget. Stayed there for two years teaching, um, self-paced instruction and traditional instruction, seventh and eighth grade science, because I had gotten somehow certified in science in Alabama. Uh, things didn't work out on the marital end too well, so I wound up back in um, DeKalb County, came back home. Again, 
at Stoneview Elementary School teaching fifth grade again, I think one classroom down from myself. And of course it helps when you're, you know, at home and teaching and you know some of the kids and families coming in. So that's kind of a relationship thing in itself. Um, but I had friends from when I um, first taught there. So I eased back in, um, started a romantic uh, relationship with who did turn out to be my husband. Um, stayed there for a year and moved on to the DeKalb Writing Center. And that was another interesting job I had. Um, it was kind of a school within a school concept. The leader of it had been my assistant principal, my very first job of teaching. So that's where a relationship helped me change jobs and have a nicer job, actually, um, as a result. You know, that it's always who you know kind of thing is very true. And he knew my work ethic. Um, Greg and I both had strong work ethics modeled by our parents. They were never lazy, always wanted more, and were willing to do the work it takes to get what you want. So that was kind of a good, uh, you don't know as a kid what kind of environment that is, you know, how that is being uh, modeled to you. But it was important for us. And we both took it to heart, I guess. Um, but um, I was at the writing center and it closed and um, there was another school that was just opening and it turned out to be the number one school in the state of Georgia, Kittredge Magnet School for High Achievers. I taught there for six years under the most wonderful principal ever, Steve Dunlap. And um, Steve Dunlap, if you happen to hear this podcast by some chance, You'll never know what you did to help me in the long run. Um, he was the kind of person that he trusted me. He trusted my judgment. He brought me in for problem solving. I, I guess he saw in me something that I had not seen in myself because he kind of turned me on to school leadership. And um, he put me in charge of the accreditation committee for our school. Um, and I started thinking, you know, I kind of like doing this. I, I like, I like leading people and collaborating with adults. I, yeah, I enjoy the kids, but I'm getting really more out of at this point dealing with um, adults. So I started the leadership program. I had already got, gotten my master's degree sometime along the way at Mercer University in Atlanta, where I met another lifetime friend who was a teacher, Lisa Burleson. And um, Lisa and I just talked last week. We talked together at Kittredge Magnet because she was interviewing. And I said, girl, you need to get here. This is the greatest place. And we taught um, across the um, hall from each other and on the same grade level. So, again, another relationship came into play. And I, did, I was at Kittredge for about six years. Remember that uh, her mother-in-law was also a teacher my seventh grade teacher. So this is how, you know, closed or, or, or small that whole world was of, of where you lived and the people that you interacted with. And, you know, Stella Burleson, the redheaded lady that I remember from reading. Um, where the Red Fern Grows. Where the Red Fern Grows book every day after lunch, you know, here you wind up working with her darn daughter-in-law. Yeah, and it was cool because I remember Stella telling us stories about her family. And then Lisa ends up marrying one of the kids she's talked about all those years. So that was kind of cool. And actually, 
Um, I stayed in touch with Stella through Lisa up until her death um, for the most part, which is just a few years short years, a uh, few years ago. But um, from there, uh, as I was mentioning about the school leadership, I started getting my add on certification at Georgia state university um, for uh, an add on to my master's degree. And I just kept enjoying it and enjoying it. And I applied to be an assistant principal where I got that position again. Um, a friend of mine that I talked with at Kittredge, Suzanne Neiman, knew somebody at Bob Mathis who talked to the principal, and that's where the reputation part goes. Um, you know, as a principal and, uh, well, I guess a leader in any organization, it's always good to know somebody you can count on that you, you know, just like I could tell my teachers, I can teach you what you don't know. I can't teach you how to be nice to people and treat people and kids. Um and I, I did say that I could put you into professional development if you didn't know something you needed to know. But, you know, the core of being a, a good teacher is having a heart and it's not something that you teach. But anyway, um, I think that's the same, though, in in any darn career, because, you know, I use the same analogy forever on technicians, you know we can teach you to work on a, you know, model number blankety blank blank, but I can't teach you to be a good person. You know, that that's has exactly right. An innate, I, innate skill or an, an innate quality that we can always polish, but it, you got to have something there to work with or no amount of education and learning in the world is going to make you a good person. If there's nothing there. Oh, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, and I went to Bob Mathis. I spent four and a half years there. I got on different um, committees and things because I had an interest in going to central office. That happened four and a half years later. And I can definitely thank my former principal, Carolyn Thompson, who kind of helped develop me to be a future leader for a school. And also to um, Dr. Jenny Springer. And um, Jenny and I, still keep in contact to this day. Um, she you was associate Jerry Springer, Jenny, oh, far, okay. far from Jerry. Okay. Jenny. Um, she was the associate superintendent for instruction under Dr. Rennie Hawford. And both of them provided me with lots of leadership experiences, kept trying to get me to apply for principalship. And I just didn't want to do it. And I didn't want to do it. And I didn't want to do it. And then the, Todd's changed, Rennie retired, Jenny retired, new, new administration comes in, and I had to get the heck out of the central office. And I um, applied for a position at Huntley Hills Elementary School. And I knew of Huntley Hills Elementary School because it was one of the three Montessori schools in DeKalb County, and I had been the coordinator at the central office to put that program together very <coughs> shortly. Um, within a, from April to we opened classrooms in August. So I recruited teachers, organized all the training, organized all the ordering, ran around like a chicken with my head cut off, but pulled it off. So we opened 12 classrooms in three different schools. So I knew of Huntley Hills and I knew it was a great place. Um, Chuck Taylor had been the principal there and was a friend of mine. And he said, Angela, you need to apply here. And by the grace of God, even though it was an hour driving one way from my home in Covington, Georgia, 
I spent the next 10 years there. And that's where I could really tell you I saw the importance of relationships in work. All right, but hang on right there a second. Before you dive into that that 10-year period, tell tell us a little bit about the Montessori program, how that came into being. And, and best I remember is some lady's name that started that type of education. Is that is that right? It was, yep. Some lady, her name was Dr. Maria Montessori, Italy's first physician. And the school started in Italy and um, became very popular over Europe, came to the United States. And it's all about empowering the child. Um, the uh, Dr. Montessori called it the absorbent mind. And starting even with programs of toddlers, infant toddler programs, it's about hands-on concrete learning for children and with the, with the understanding of let me do it by myself. Um, that's the whole thing. The child wants to learn to do it by him or herself. And it's the coolest thing to watch because you see these children working with all these beads and shapes and puzzles and in the most open yet structured, I think that's important to say, environment. And from what I understand, Dr. Springer was really the one that kind of brought me into the fold with it because I had expressed an interest in doing something different, um, which started at my career at the Academy for Academics and Arts, went on to when I went to the DeKalb Writing Center, Kittredge Magnet School. So I had a path of always doing something different in education. But um, the school board in DeKalb um, wanted to offer a different type of I guess, magnet experience, although the first little while really wasn't in the magnet brochure. That kind of happened later. But um, they um, researched and found the school board and approved the Montessori program. It was the first true public Montessori program in Georgia. Um, Savannah had a program, but it was under a charter. We didn't have a charter status. So we had to meet all the same criteria as a regular public school. Um, but it was absolutely thrilling. Um, and what do you else you want to know? <laughs> well, I, I think from a, from a business standpoint, my mind goes back to, or, or goes to, is that type of training or that type of learning more expensive than the traditional route? Or how does that shape up in a, in a dollars and cents way? Just because I pay a shitload of taxes and I don't have kids. I always like to know where the money's going. <laughs> well, initially getting a program started is very expensive because you have to buy all of these materials and supplies. But for the vast majority of those materials and supplies, they are not consumable. So they are used year after year after year after year. Now, most Montessori programs you would find in private schools. So you have private school tuition, you know, tucked under in it. We had a nice budget for the Montessori program into cab, and I don't recall exactly the dollar figure um, at this point, but it included the teacher salaries and the training and the materials and supplies and, you know, all those types of things. Greg, I thought a lot about you and also my son, Michael, because Michael did not want to go to school at all. It was a struggle. I literally pulled him through school. And Greg was always very, very smart. He always found a way to outsmart his way through. 
But I think part of it is if you had had an experience like the Montessori program, and if Michael had had that experience where it was truly all hands-on learning, because that's what it is, it would have made a world of difference. Well, I think that's, you know, I think about, you know, you, you know, I spent a lot of time talking about skilled trades and recruiting for the, the dirty hands world. And most of the people, I mean, the vast majority of the people that sell in the trade program, you know, are the kind of people that learn best by doing and not by reading theory. You know, they're, I like to think I'm a little bit of a hybrid because I like to learn the theory and then go execute it, which was part of the problem with my public education. I just, I didn't get the opportunity to go do it after I read it. And I think a lot of kids would, would benefit, you know, I never thought about it from a true Montessori standpoint, but you're, you know, it makes total sense. But um, Oh, it, it does. It, it's, you know, because, you know, your brain when you were younger, can't handle abstract, you know, the the childhood brain wants concrete learning experiences. And when a teacher puts on a board, you know, back in the day, a chalkboard, a multiplication program problem, you just did the problem. You didn't really understand what it meant. A Montessori child would lay out the materials and beads where they could actually see what it means to multiply. They would use gave you nine beads exactly that's exactly right in Could division you? we just did division because that's what we were taught to do in Montessori you use test tube division literally little test tubes and little beads where the child can actually see what it means to divide people now that I'm going to get into that program yeah hey I'm all I'm all for it it's, I mean, it's awesome. I mean adults Think about this now, though, the the um, having to clean in all, you know, in, in our world of germaphobic right now, especially with COVID. How in the heck would you say all that stuff that those kids are messing with? That'd be a nightmare. So, all right, I'm not going to jinx this with COVID talk. So, all right, we're back on you going to starting your 10 year uh, tranche over at, at the school. Yes. Um, I came in, as I said, I knew a little bit about the school. So I did have my foot in the door in terms of some relationships already. And I think one important thing to say as the Montessori uh, coordinator and then as a subsequent Montessori principal, I had gone through the training with the teachers. I sat in training with them one summer almost locked in a room nonstop trying to absorb all of this information. And I think that in itself, you know, when you're in, in the trenches, so to speak with your people and you develop those relationships, it takes you far. And so when I went into my school, the Montessori teachers already knew me, but mine was a school within a school. The traditional teachers didn't know me. You know, here's this Montessori chick showing up in the library and been announced as a new principal. And from the onset, I said to them, guys, look, I'm not the principal of the Montessori program. I'm the principal of the entire school and I need you with me. And my first goal was relationship building. Um, there were teachers there who were, of course, scared, quote unquote, skittish 
and there were teachers there who were happy I was there. So it was kind of a mix. And it took me a while to do that trust building and to bring them in because these teachers, many of them had already been at the school 10 and 15 years. Um, you know, so they had their culture developed, so to speak. And then here's this new lady showing up, you know, who was she? And one thing that I did was, um, I don't recall prior to me, I only know what, when I was there, I developed my school improvement team and I brought in people that probably didn't know me as well and people that I knew I could count on to everybody could bring their ideas to the table. Like a committee at the school. Exactly. Um, and because I wanted it to be what we wanted it to be, not necessarily what I wanted it to be. That parallel, though, is really no different in, you know, Tyler's company or my company. I mean, whether it's educational or, or commerce, you know, you still you, you always have to have people you want in the foxhole with you. And oh, yeah. it just takes, you know, that that bridge building, because when the new sheriff's in town, you know, everybody's prickly, you know, their spidey senses are alerted and everybody's kind of on guard as, you know, what, what's this going to be like? What's the new, what's the new drill? And you that's know, exactly you're, right. you got 10 or 15 year people and, and suddenly you show up and, you know, they're probably some of them were older than you and some younger than you. And you're trying to, you know, manage all those relationships. It's, it's tough whether you're, I would think education or, or I know business is tough on that side of it. I tread very lightly. I mean, I remember being in school and, you know, them saying, you know, don't even move your trash can the first year, you know? So the first year I was very quiet in terms of, I was the one trying to learn. I was trying to learn the relationships that already existed in the building. I was trying to learn from the community, the entire school community, what was important, what wasn't. I remember, gosh, it was like my second day on the job and a parent comes to the school and I don't remember he, he or she or whatever, but the first question is, you know, when are you doing the school carnival? And I thought, what school carnival? You know, I knew financially that principals aren't supposed to do those kind of things. And I was right. It was a responsibility of the PTA or PTO or whatever. But that first year we carried on and we did it. And um, then I gradually transitioned those responsibilities to where they needed to be. Um, but one really thing, real important thing that stands out to me, I've mentioned the school improvement team. And after I've been there a couple of years, I thought we're going to go on a retreat and I knew of someone at Lake Oconee that had a lake house. And so they didn't charge me very much. And I took my school improvement team down. It was just a group of women. And we went down and we ate together and talked and enjoyed being together. But we also did a lot of business on that trip. And one thing that came from that, and I'll never forget us all sitting in the living room together, dreaming and planning and it came from our tiger house incentive program with the children where it was kind of a takeoff of harry potter and having the banners and the houses and whatnot well we were the huntley hills tigers so we developed tiger houses and 
Allison Hutchinson was one of my Montessori teachers. And I remember her really kind of coming up with the idea. And then we sat there together and we really brought that to fruition. And we started it the next school year and it was absolutely wonderful. And I think it's still going on today. There were banners hanging in the cafeteria. The children are broken up into tiger houses. And it was uh, really a great thing. But I think back to that weekend that we sat or weekdays whenever we went in that living room and we really together bonded in our own relationships, planning and dreaming and then seeing something to fruition together. So that really sticks out in my head. I, I totally get that. And, and I was just talking, I had lunch with a couple of people yesterday from Carrier and uh, we were talking about the importance of one-on-one time. You know, you can have, you know, we're, we're all talking on a video platform here, but being able to sit down and break bread with somebody or, or you know, have a cup of coffee one-on-one or in a group setting. And, and I just did it last week. I, I saw, I, I proved this about once a month when I'm with people, but last week we were in Nashville and um, we had our service managers forum that Eric Bowen ran and I, I got to go uh, as a guest and just, the, the magic that happens, the synapse between the real instructional time is where so much magic happens. You know, it's the between session conversation or it's the beer at the bar, you know, all of that time. It, it just builds such a, a rapport and a bond with people that they remember forever. And, you know, Tyler, I, you guys had a, a, I don't know, a month or so ago, maybe two months ago, y'all did a barbecue thing, I think I remember, where you got a food day and y'all just got out as a company and rambled and ate and, you know, that kind of stuff so important. What what did, t- tell us about that real quick. I want to come back to Angela's story, but what tell us about that day y'all did and what, what the benefits of that were for y'all. Yeah, every so often, MarketScale as a company will uh, just open a tab for all of its employees at one of the restaurants here in the building. Um, there's a Dickie's Barbecue downstairs, you know, uh, and it's uh, it gets the job done, right? Uh, I, I enjoy a good Dickie's lunch. But the, the nice thing about it is it builds camaraderie amongst, you know, teams. It allows you to talk to people in the company that you may not otherwise talk to or interact with on a regular basis. You know, it's just Stuff like that is just always so good and so valuable because you never know who you're going to talk to. You never know what kind of conversation is going to come out of it. And you feel as an employee, you know, um, appreciated by the company. Just, you know, it's a small gesture. And at the end of the day, it's not going to drastically alter the, the the bottom line of the company. But, you know, it, it means a lot to employees sometimes just to, you know, have a day like that, have an afternoon like that where you're able to, you know, uh, take a load off a little bit and uh, and have a conversation with someone. So, yeah, I, I love days like that and I love it when we do that. And in fact, I think the company is bringing a food truck to the building for anybody in our, our entire office building to to go down and enjoy. But um, it's stuff like that that I think makes a difference for people. I agree. It's the little things. And I think there's a difference. At, at gate C-19 at DFW that I usually try to hit when I'm passing through. So I get that. But. Tyler, where are you? Where are you, Tyler? I'm in Dallas, Texas. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we like our barbecue down here. 
for sure. Yeah. Hey, we yeah. like our barbecue over here too. You like brisket <laughs> and sausage. <laughs> all right. So, all right. Back on track here because I want to make sure I take care of our time. Um, all right. So, y'all are doing your your sit team and you're doing it at Lake Oconee and y'all hash out a plan. I don't know squat about Harry Potter, but I get the concept. So you, you roll back into the next year and you execute on this, this tiger deal. Yeah. And at this point of being a principal, I probably had been there three or four years and you turn responsibility over to your people, you know, and that gives them a, a great sense that, Hey, she trusts me to do whatever. And from there, we developed an after-school program called Tiger Time. Same kind of thing. I said, guys, make it roll. Um, in the um, education world, we're somewhat limited because of the limitations we have on funds. You know, I can't just necessarily bring a food truck up and say, hey, have at it. I would count on my, my PTA to help do those kind of things or my very, very tiny discretionary fund that would come from, you know, how you go to Publix and they say, link your card to the, you know, the school earns money. Well, that's really true. I mean, those checks really come and I would count on those little things to do. For example, my daughters went to school with me one day on a teacher work day and we cooked a pancake breakfast. Emily Jacqueline and I cooked pancakes and bacon for the faculty. Small gestures to say, thank you. I'm with you. I'm human, just like you are. Um, and I want to work with you. I was, I had read something about a, a quote and I'll paraphrase Jesse Jackson that says, you don't look down to people unless you're helping them up. And I really like that. I know that's not exactly the quote per se, but to paraphrase him. And I really thought about that that that's so true in developing those relationships and finding out what makes your people tick and when you give them that you know through the re relationship you developed when you show trust to them you know they'll work their tails off for you because then it's a our thing it's not just a your thing and I think the I, three of us are proof that if you're treated that way as you're coming through, then you want to return that and pay it forward to your people that are following you. You know, I mean, I think that that's a part of that uh, knowledge transfer, that tribal knowledge that you learn and you want to reciprocate back into your, your effort or your community or whatever, your company or, or school, same thing. You're, you're, you're giving back and, you're demonstrating and true leadership, servant leadership is, is actions. It's not what you say, you know, you, oh, you can say anything. You have to, you have to walk the talk, not just talk the talk. So, um, and it was very emotional for me when I retired from that school. Um, I was there 10 years and most of my staff, I, I had some in and out, but not a lot. Most of them would hang with me and it was really heart-wrenching for me when I left because I had invested so much of myself. I had developed these relationships with these delightful educators, you know, and, and let me say from the onset, I, I wasn't the queen that everybody liked, you know, you, you, you're still the boss. And um, I, I'm reminded of my head custodian, Miss Palmer would come to me and 
she'd, she always called me boss or doc. Hey, hey, doc, there's something brewing you need to know about. And I said, really? Like, what's that? Because you have to remember, you know, custodians are, you know, they're in the corners and people don't think about them and they're overhearing conversations and this, that, and the other. So that relationship I had with her helped me because she gave me the ear into what was going on so I could address it before it really became a big deal. And I could go through, you know, I could go through the back door and, and address it without having to even deal with it up front. So I, I, I can't stress enough how important those relationships are and keep some of my best friends were people, you know, just like I said, I started with and, um, but you know, the day that I had, they did a big retirement shindig for me and, and they really went all out and nice things that they said. And, you know, I remember them saying, you know, you're tough, you're tough, but you're fair. And, um, I always tried to be fair. I always try to put myself in other people's shoes, but bottom line is I follow the rules. I follow the book and maybe that earned me a little respect because they knew that my ethics, um, I, I mean, I would tell them, I love you, but you cheat on standardized testing. I'm not going down with you. You, you just remember that. And so we were, I felt like really close and really tight at least seven uh, more than that 90 percent of the faculty we were really together some of the other ones left because i would put the pressure on them of what i expected they didn't like it and they would leave and well, that's um, good that's yeah what you I, didn't, I didn't want to spend my time writing people up and putting them on professional development plans and you know trying to get somebody to leave was like an act of congress i had too much other stuff to do and so i just kept my thumb on them and showing what I expected. And if you couldn't handle it, you didn't like the heat, you left. And that was very successful for, you know, had a lot of success in that way. So. Well, I think, I think what people appreciate is consistency, right? And knowing that, Hey, I go by the book and this is the way things are done. I, I would rather just know how, you know, or have expectations of how someone is going to respond and what, what the expectations are for me. So then I can, I know how I can interact with that person, right? I think consistency is always just so important in those types of relationships. Consistency is very important. I agree. And also I'll tell you something else is nothing gets on my nerves any worse than people telling me they're going to do something, then they don't do it. You yeah. know, yeah. and if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to. Why are you laughing, Greg? <laughs> because I spent all morning trying to herd kittens into uh, <laughs> the funnel that people commit to. And then when it gets down to that day, it's like, oh, you mean you were waiting on me? Like, yeah, uh, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it's a lot. Yeah. They knew they knew if I said something, even if they didn't like it. I was going to stick to it. I mean, I was always willing to listen and my door was open and I tried to be out among them. Um, but it's just the way it was. When you talk about, you talk about doing food trucks and stuff, the way to the teacher's heart, you let them wear blue jeans. <laughs> Nothing makes them happier and it doesn't cost you a dime and you let them wear blue jeans. And I mean, who doesn't like to wear blue jeans? I mean, exactly. Exactly. And it's my retirement gift to them when I announced that I was leaving. I told them after Thanksgiving I was retiring and I left January 31st. I said, 
Guys, you can wear jeans every single day until the day I'm gone. And uh, I, I really didn't care at that point what central office was going to say about it. What could they say, you know? Um, but that made them smile and I wanted them to be happy. And it's funny, the Monday after I had left, I think it was a Friday afternoon, they sent me a text message of people. Uh, they wore their jeans on Monday in my honor. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that what, what that shows is regardless of, of what your your uh, career is, and whether it's in public service, uh, service or, you know, working for a big company, working for a small company. We, and we've proven this a million times on this, this podcast. It's about people. It's about the trust that they have in you. It's about the trust you have in them and saying that and showing that. And then also saying, you know, we, and my favorite topic here lately is radical candor being really transparent, really open. And you don't have to be a dick about it, but you got to say what's up. Like you can't do that because of whatever. I, I, like you said, I love you, but you can't cheat on the test. That's just kind of, you know, that's how I go. Sorry. Yeah, it's just, just the way it works. I, I thought of something else. Um, also, I read that said you, you have to build the people and the people build the business. And anybody that tells you they're self-made is full of crap because – Nobody got to be anything without somebody, whether it be a teacher, a mentor, a pastor, somebody has helped everybody. You know, I mean, you, you just you don't hatch being that ready to conquer the world. You know, you got you've got to have people that are invested in you at many different phases of your career and and more so your life. Yeah, I'm very grateful for the people and the supporters that I've had along the way because they, when I started, you know, teaching that very first year of teaching, I, I never dreamed of where my career would take me. I never, I never, never dreamed it. And it just kind of started unfolding as I went. And I'm happy to say that little elementary school really flourished. It was a good little elementary school, but, you know, I'm certainly not one to take credit for it, but I at least feel like developing some of the things that were just sitting there waiting to be developed, so to speak. It just took a little catalyst to make some really terrific things happen with the community, the PTO, uh, PTA it was at that point, I guess. But develop that school improvement team, having people that, you know, they had your back, they knew the mission, Getting well, they're invested. Started. Oh, exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. what we're talking about. We're talking about people. You know, Tyler, his his company had some folks up in uh, Nashville last week, and they always send people who are committed to making our events look good on on. And I call it film. I you call it, but when they record our stuff their photographers and videographers are invested in making our event what we expect it to look like when it comes out for, you know, public consumption. It, you can tell they care, you know, they're in it to win it. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's about it's bottom lines caring. 
I look down again. It's that, that magic moment on the clock. And uh, I do this every time. I don't. I, one day I'll quit being shocked, I guess. But how quickly, <laughs> how quickly the, the time goes. So, Angela, um, really cool to hear that story kind of summarized because I've lived it, and you know, some some parts I remember well, some parts I don't. Um, but it's really a, a very successful career route, and and. Uh, ending, you know, I guess you want to call it that. You've been retired nine different times now because every time I talk to you, you're doing something else. So, um, I, I, school's in my blood. I can't yeah. help it. It's in I my blood. That. I believe it. So, well, thank you for taking time with us and, and telling our uh, millions of listeners, uh, you know, what's what's going on with you and how how you. I I, I think at least change the educational experience for a glut of kids coming through, you know, and I think that's all you could ask for. Yeah. I had a parent yesterday. She had posted something on Facebook of her child who's now in college. And I said, Oh, she's so sweet. She looks exactly the same. And she messaged me last night and she said, we were just talking about you the other day. She still remembers your lessons. And I thought that was, you know, when you hear that and you've been retired for 10 years, that that's what's that's what it's all about and just for the just for the record i'm very proud of my little punky brother um who's done quite well for himself um he's morphed into a pretty pretty cool dude and i'm really <laughs> proud of him and love him a lot he, I, I could tell some stories but i won't um i think i've done pretty well uh keeping those secrets between me and greg but I, I really am proud of him, and it's fun for me to sit and watch my little punky brother um, and his businessman world and, you know, how he's made such contributions, too. So back at you, kiddo. Well, I appreciate hearing that. And um, Tyler's got a really, really good BS filter, so we could just clean up all that, all those lies yeah. you would be spewing yeah. anyway. So. Yeah, you mean about the one that I beat your ass in the front yard? <laughs> I knew it had to come up at some point, Tyler. I'll explain that later. Over some it, was, it, was, it was bound regardless, to happen. Regardless of what he says, it's true. All right. <laughs> but take us to the house, Tyler. It's well, Angela, thank you so much for, for joining us here on the podcast today and, uh, and telling us a, a little bit more about your career and, and also just what it's like to be Greg Crumpton's sister. But, uh, you know, absolute privilege to have you on the show today. <laughs> Uh, my honor. I enjoyed it very much. Excellent. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. And Greg, another excellent episode in the books. Uh, looking forward to, to more good stuff coming soon. Yeah, I was just looking at the calendar. We've got some really cool folks coming up to, to you know, I don't know that we have any more educators. Maybe we just break the mold right here since you did such a, a stellar job for us, Tyler. Maybe we just stick to the dot-com people after this and don't, don't. <laughs> We won't tarnish the EDU community, but no, yeah. we, do, we do really have some cool stuff. Uh, look forward to it. And thank you for always as uh, corralling the kittens for us. I, uh, I do my best, but uh, it's been a privilege getting a chance to be a part of this episode. Everyone, we will talk to you again very, very shortly on future episodes of Straight Out of Crumpton. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you want to stay up to date with the latest episodes. Or, of course, you can go to gregcrumpton.com for more. But for this episode, for our excellent guest today, Angela Lysa, and for Greg Crumpton, I've been your host, Tyler Kern. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us.